Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. I was designed to save the world. People who look to the sky and see hope. I'll take that from them first.
Welcome, everybody, to the Next Reels Film Board, a monthly gathering in the Next Reels gang of thugs to take on a film currently in theaters. Right now, this month, we're off to Sokovia to catch up with Steve, Tony, Natasha, Bruce, and Clint as they struggle to adopt some twins and make some really poor choices in configuring their security automation system. But before we get to that, please allow me to introduce our most respected thugs in residence, the true benefactor of our Motley team who really does make us all look cooler, Andy Nelson. Hey, everybody. Struggling to find his future after 60 years on ice, that's Tommy Handsome right there. Hi, friends. Unsure if he's dead or alive or dead again, but still rocking that kicking eye patch, Justin Yeager. Hello. <laughs> A monster, a monster in his own mind, just trying to settle down with the love of his very own diminutive Russian assassin. Mike Evans is back! I am Groot. <laughs> a shoe-in for any conversation on superheroes, thanks to his inherent bravery, his courage, and his alliteration, Steve Sarmento. How's it going, everybody? And me, Pete Wright, just hanging out with cool kids like Hill and Coulson do. Thank you, everyone, for hanging out with us for this film board. Before we get into the show, make sure you go learn about us uh, a little bit more about us at thenextreel.com slash filmboard. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Next Reel, and make sure to subscribe to the show for free in iTunes or your favorite podcast application. Uh, gentlemen, this film uh, is opening to a, uh, a kickin' hot weekend. Uh, it's doing very well, although as far as I understand it, not quite as well as its predecessor. Uh, still, somehow, Age of Ultron is, uh, is uh, taking us all by storm. Joss Whedon, writer and director. What is your stance on this film from the Joss perspective. And I asked this because the first thing that I heard when I walked out of the theater was a news uh, item that said uh, Josh was, or Joss was exhausted bringing this film home. Did you feel the exhaustion, Steve? No, I, I felt a little, well, yes, I did. I'll leave it like that and we'll get into it in, in detail, detail later. Yes. I did enjoy it, but I there, I, I did feel some weariness coming through. Weariness? Yeah. All right. Bone tired. Tommy, what'd you think? Um, we all know the fantasy and superhero movies aren't exactly my jam, but in the hands of someone like Jaws Whedon, I had a great time. I thought it was really funny. And to his absolute credit, again, because of me, I pretty much understood what was going on the whole time. Uh, until Thor went into that lightning water. Or whatever, then everything got squirrely. But until then, and then after that, I thought it was really fun, and I had a great time. And I went with someone that could explain what everything meant later. Oh, I like to hear that. That gives me hope for this particular episode. Uh, JJ, what'd you think? Uh, from the writing perspective, I I thought it was uh, pitch perfect for me. Uh, I thought the tone was consistent throughout and funny. I thought it was very funny throughout, and uh, the to what Tommy was saying there was no confusion at all for me uh, and of course I'm I'm kind of well rooted in the whole comic book uh, history you know being a collector from the 80s uh, but I thought he p pieced everything together perfectly oh I'm even more excited uh, Mike uh, I would say that uh, there were a couple tired tropes and a few tangents that may have been exhausted I think uh I think there was like uh, maybe a little thing. Maybe I, I guess maybe a little writing was a little. Um, um, uh, maybe they took a few shortcuts that that seemed a little obvious. But other than that, it was pretty enjoyable. Oh man, that's great! And here we are. I'm saving who I think is is maybe the most angsty for last. Andy, what'd you think? <laughs> most angsty. Yeah, yeah. Did you like it? <laughs> well, maybe I am a little angsty. I, I knew. You it. know, I knew it. <laughs> 
I enjoyed it. I think more than the the previous Avengers film. Oh, that um, actually oh. says a lot. But I've I but not as much as most of the individual films. Um, you know, it's I did find it a little wearying, and um, particularly um, Tony Stark and slash Iron Man. I really kind of he wore on me quite a bit in this one. And uh, I, I, I liked some of the stuff they were doing with it, but on the whole, I just felt like it was just stuff that I had seen before, and it was just so big that I never really felt like there were uh, any serious threats happening. And uh, so I left. I mean, I had a good time. I had some good laughs, um, but it didn't, it, didn't, uh, it didn't really jump out at me. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I'm that guy. I so nailed you. <laughs> I knew you would bring the angst. I actually, uh, you know, I found myself really enjoying it. And maybe it was the audience. It was a great, great audience. Seemed to laugh at all the right moments. My kids were obviously delight delighted at just being there. And so put something on screen in a helmet or uh, shooting some sort of wispy red stuff. Wow, was she a favorite? <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> What's her name? Uh, Scarlet Witch. Fair um, enough. Wanda I, uh, is her name. Wanda. Wanda Witch. Yeah. Is it Wanda Witch, keeping with our alliteration? Uh, But I I deeply enjoyed it. I thought it was fun, but I agree. I actually felt some fatigue, and I felt like, man, I can see why we're jumping into Infinity Wars with the Russos uh, coming up. So um, uh, I'm I'm very excited about it. I wonder if we could start with our, our, I'm going to say, most well-versed comic participants. It's me! uh, Mike and JJ. Oh, <laughs> it's not me? No, could you I guys, really thought it was my time to shine. JJ okay. and Mike, could you guys just uh, share a little bit of your thoughts about how the uh, how the uh, the book-to-screen adaptation went? Did they did they hit the Ultron story in a way that would, that would do uh, fairness to the book? Well, so that's a great question for me, because Ultron, <laughs> going into the movie, Ultron is one of my least favorite villains from the books. Ultron is kind of this usually lame, redundant foil that's just kind of silly and generally worthless because the the history of Ultron, there's like a a, a huge number of iterations of Ultron. The the first one was Ultron 5 and then they just kind of keep bringing him back whenever they need another crazy robot in the, in the books, you know, the the soap opera that is the Marvel universe in in book form. And so when they announced that the second Avengers movie was going to have Ultron as the, the bad guy, I was, I was actually really wary of it. Um, But I was super happy with the way that they treated it. I thought James Spader was perfect in the way that he, in his sort of um, discovery of the, Ultron role. Um, it made it, uh, Joss Whedon's story made it significant in a way that the Ultron character in the books never was. Um, and, and so I guess my answer to your question, Pete, is I don't think they deviated where they needed to deviate from the Marvel Universe in book form. It, it, I mean, some of the, the Quicksilver change, I guess you'd have to say right away, that how he ends is is really a surprise. But in general, I think they took some great steps away from the books and then uh, had some great uh, bridges to where the books were too. I, I mean, I never saw the vision coming, for example. Um, and some of the things that I think people who are non-comic book readers might find weary um, at, at, from the conversation we were having before, I, I found... Uh, 
uh, to be great answers to my questions. Why? Like, why Hawkeye was my question when I came to the first Avengers. Like, why are they bringing in Hawkeye? And and now I kind of have an answer why. And we can get into that a little bit later about where they're going in the realm of the books. But I just think they made the right parallels and the right deviations. And that's why I was happy with it. Good answer. That's a great answer. What do you think, Mike? So uh, I disagree completely. <laughs> oh, snap! <laughs> Film board off! <laughs> woo, woo! But in the most respectful way possible. Uh, uh, and and I, I don't think I have as, as, uh, um, as a, probably as deep of an of a actual book um, history as, as J.J. does. But what, from the movie standpoint, I didn't feel like they – I mean, it, so James Spader's performance was great. Um, sort of creepy slash, you know, um, sinister. But it, it felt very – I guess to borrow a term, very comic the whole time. I had a hard hard time believing he was a bad guy. I, like he was a bad guy. Um, like the personality, I think, is what got me from the the way that they actually implemented him. Um, you know, he was supposed to draw from I think Tony's, um, hu- you know, his hubris, his his uh, ego, and I think that's what they intended, and it sort of came out to be. I, I mean, I did. There was a lot of believability things for me. And that was the worst part about the whole movie for me was, was believability of him as the villain. Because there was lots of things that they were just sort of fast-forwarding through, I, I think. Like, you know, even the end, like, it's like if one robot, like, survives. Well, I mean, they're, they're like, there's like thousands of them all over the place. How are they supposed to track down every single one of them? You know, it's like lots of things they sort of just fast-forwarded through. Well, I, you know, it's interesting you say that. I, I actually did, you know, I thought the fast-forwarding part, I think both of you kind of mentioned that, this whole idea that, that some things happened awfully quickly. For me, the one that stands out is is the actual sort of definition of kind of the boot-up of Ultron. Uh, he sort of found his purpose really, really fast, and I didn't get any sense of, of kind of that evolution that I, I kind of wanted, and maybe that's just, you know, I... I'd like to watch computers build themselves when I'm not working. I don't know. I uh, so I really um, I <laughs> I found myself kind of missing that that element. But one of the things that I thought I personally I thought was actually nice. I you know sort of to to your point, Mike, was that I, I didn't and, and maybe to Andy's too. I didn't get the sense that Ultron was inherently evil, and I sort of found that that Spader's performance was. A little bit over the top in this regard, but that Ultron was much more Tony Stark's personality, having come to a solution to a problem that that only he could come to. But the problem was is that the personality, the base personality of the uh, of the blue flashy light AI, was effectively seemed to be Malvit from the get go. I mean, what like what he did to, to the Jarvis or the yellow flashy light. Well, that's what I mean. It was it was super fast, but but you know I I got the you know from my perspective he was processing right. That was just super. Fit. Wait a minute, I get it, I get it, I get it. Okay, I got an answer. Yeah, and and so that that for me is like I bought that. Like I I bought into that completely. Did anybody else? He seemed like a like a teenager. Yeah, to me, yeah. like he made he didn't have the ability to like he has no empathy and all that kind of stuff. He just he made a snap decision based on 
what little he was given and of course knew that he was right and was already angry at his father. Thinking about that, the, the teenager and all that jump, jump right to the malevolent nature is, is really interesting considering where we're at now in 2015. Because one of the reasons why I didn't want Ultron to come in is because Ultron was a lame robot in the 80s, right? And now he has access to the internet. Oh, and that's everything. All of a sudden you have the speed of development, right? Like, like you're saying, Tommy, he's a teenager and, and he realizes everything in an instant. And I, I, right away, for me, the switch that was making me think I was going to hate him when they announced that he was going to be the bad guy, I was like, oh, yeah, he's going to be infinitely more powerful in today's age than he was when I was reading the books in the 80s. So I, I, I bought into it. Okay, but see, I didn't – okay, and this is just my, my piece of it. When I first sort of tracked you know, them building the, the, the villain, right, I got the impression that this was a infinitely old um, – personality or or intelligence that was in the infinity stone that was then interfacing i didn't get the impression that this was a a brand new young intelligence you know i I got the impression that we basically had tapped into something that was um much older and much more powerful and much more intelligent than us and this was the this was the basically we had a skynet moment you know, it's like turned that's, on. That's definitely yeah. a different interpretation for sure. Well, yeah, and I think it's all—it's all about the idea of of interface, right? I mean, it's like I, you know, for me, it was like that—that that intelligence already existed, uh, and it was the—it was the the Infinity Stone that allowed it to manifest. Uh, but you're right; it's a, it's an interpretation thing. Steve, Andy, what did you guys? How did you guys hit the or take to Ultron's birth? Uh, I mean, I I enjoyed Ultron. I I, I thought he was. Um, I mean, I, I kind of agree with both sides. I, I feel like he was uh, maybe a little too silly for me at times, but I also did enjoy kind of that that teenager nature of him, where it was almost like, you know, he was still developing his own morals, or you know, it, he wasn't quite there as far as figuring out what was right and what was wrong. He was just kind of figuring it out as he went along. He didn't even know his own strength. Like, for instance, exactly what you're saying, Andy, is like yeah. when he rips that guy's arms off, he doesn't even know his own strength. Right, right. But but to that end, it's at, at the same time, he also, I mean, he does absorb all of that information awfully quickly. And you'd think that that would give him some level of, uh, like a deeper level of understanding of things and, and a, a, you know, more uh, ability to process, you know, the bigger picture faster. And I don't feel like he processes the bigger picture faster. I feel like he just latches on to the few things that Stark says and um, and, and that basically sets him in motion and, and puts him on the path that he goes down. But you see, that's the, what you've just described is the vision. We could definitely stay on the Ultron path for quite some time, but I there are a couple of key points and the vision is one of them. Uh, that I that are my favorite things to talk about. So I'm just going to vomit them all up there, and you guys can see what you think. Number one, uh, how is it that after being a completely menial character in the first Avengers, Hawkeye is my favorite character in this film? Point number one. <laughs> here, here. Uh, uh-huh. uh, point number two, uh, Quicksilver, what the hell? Uh, point number two. And point number three, the Vision. Totally didn't see that coming. Uh, where would you like to begin? Can I... At risk of being the worst jerk in the world, I actually had one more thing to say about Ultron. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry, but I think, right. I think it'll be really quick. Okay. I'm sorry. No, do it. You deserve this. Is You've earned it. Ultra- <laughs> Ultron Ultron, in his final form, and unless I got something wrong, he broke what I like to call Tommy's Laws of Dumb Robotics in Movies. 
in that I like James Spader's performance. That was fine. But I thought it was so dumb that Ultron's Ultron's mouth moves yeah. <laughs> to yes. speak. I hated that. And I, I thought it was it. so dumb. And I thought it was so dumb that he blinked. Like robots don't need to do those things because they're robots. They don't have lungs or eyelids because they're made of robots. That's like a <laughs> robot getting allergies. It made me so angry. I hate robots that do human things like that. And now I'm done. Go ahead. Why doesn't Why doesn't Iron Man's suit blink? That would have like finished. Like the circle gets the square on that. I yeah. Why are they talking like that? That's so weird. You don't have lungs. You don't need to move your. Well, I don't want to out myself as the fanboy, but I'll come off probably as an apologist for a lot of these types of things when we ask these kinds of questions. But okay, but you so are the Ultron, fanboy. That's why. You're so right, excited right. To be so here. Ultron, in even in the story arc here, is trying to uh, evolve himself and evolve humanity into this sort of mixture of the two, right? So the the idea of what Vision was when it was Ultron's creation was uh, both a robot and a human. So I'm answering Tommy's questions with, yeah, he shouldn't be moving his mouth and blinking his eyes with the fact that he wants to mix robotics and humanity to actually get to that level. Fair enough. Well, and I think that's the problem, though, too, JJ, is that he hadn't gotten there yet. Like, I can totally see how the vision would blink and, you know, because he had the fake plasticky stuff from the Korean doctor. But... Uh, Ultron didn't yet, and I think that's right. what, what was it. It's like you know, Optimus Prime moving his mouth. That was uh, that's that ended up being <laughs> stupid. Yeah, he's a wannabe. I get right. it. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's aspirational. So, he's he's aspiring to that, so he's going to mimic it to the best of his ability until he's able to evolve those functional capacities. I can explain why why he why he does that. A hundred and ninety million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Fair, fair, point. fair point. Okay, so That's Pete, point. your three, yeah. your three characters, right? Yeah. Hawkeye. Um, so the reason, yeah, totally didn't expect Jeremy. Well, and first of all, I, I, I personally don't like Jeremy Renner for some reason. No reason. I, I don't know why. Like, I just, I just feel like in high school we wouldn't have gotten along. Um, but <laughs> Hawkeye is super important. So I didn't expect to like him too. But he's actually the second. Like, he's the next leader to, that they're setting up for the Avengers. Whether or not Cap. Captain America stays as the leader of the Avengers. Hawkeye in the books actually splits off and forms an entire separate Avengers crew, which the uh, the main characters in that crew are Hawkeye, Quicksilver, and Scarlet Witch. West Coast. So much for that crew. Yep. <laughs> the West yeah, Coast right. Avengers, right? Well, that's and that's why. So that leads us to the next thing with Quicksilver. What the hell, right? I don't know if your what the hell was a good thing or a bad thing, but uh, uh, yeah. So he gets killed, but we don't really see him dead, right? We see him. It's a comic book, so who knows what's going to happen with that? They um, healed everybody else. They got shot by bullets. Exactly. Right. Maybe and he goes through the the. Uh, he goes to uh, Doctor Cho. Yeah. Right. He goes to the um, Tahiti Theta Protocol, whatever that is. And he could have, you know, he's super fast, so maybe his healing, it, it's going to push the bullets. Who knows? I don't know. It's comic books. We can do these things. And then Vision, I totally didn't get it either, even as they're like, and I'm, again, I'm the I'm the super fanboy here, and as they're lacing his skin red, I totally didn't catch it until even they said the word Vision. I was like, oh my gosh, it's Vision. <laughs> okay, why uh, did you, why did your brain, brain explode at the Vision? Set some context for me. Because it connects, all of a sudden the West Coast Avengers are formed, right? So now, so now you have Hawkeye, Iron Man, Scarlet Witch, Quicksilver, and and Vision. Like this is this is the West Coast Avengers. So that question that I said at the beginning of the podcast here: Why Hawkeye? Why did they include Hawkeye? Who cares about Hawkeye? All of a sudden you're like, 
oh, they're still setting the table. Even as this this story is kind of ending a chapter, right? As we get through what, with what we're doing, we're walking away and we've got the new Avengers Assemble. They're still setting the table. And I just am in admiration of Marvel and the Marvel Studios and how they're doing all this. I didn't. I don't like Ultron. I don't care about the Infinity Stones. I don't care all about, about all that stuff. But I love how they're the care at which they're approaching their universe and they're making sure that the the common threads continue through and that's why I was super that's why my brain exploded when I saw Vision that's Man. fun so that's do so we, exciting did, was the Vision was Vision and I don't mean to pers- kind of um, really stick on this Vision thing and the specific characters but was Vision like was his origin story similar to this is this how he was really formed or they just plopped that in from some other storyline it's uh, yes and no. So I, I can actually I can actually access the the original story and we can go through uh, just a quick details of it. But it, he was originally created by Ultron um, and not by uh, Tony Stark and uh, Bruce Banner. So they've you know again I, I I go to the thing where they've deviated where they needed to deviate to to do what they're doing, but they've also stayed true to the thing there. So it's kind of like it, but not exactly. But they've but they've but they've mixed up enough of the origin stories in this in this universe that that to a certain extent it doesn't they they haven't they haven't um locked themselves to being questioned about that i mean effectively they're using the books as a as inspiration do you agree with that jj yeah i think i i agree with that and i think you have to do that i i i I, I i'm still freaked out about quicksilver i'll I'll put that out there but yeah in general tweaking uh tweaking an origin story i mean they've done the origin story for wolverine now three times right yeah so uh you know i'm 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 comfortable doing that as long as they settle on something that they like if if i'm if i'm okay to uh to interject just a mild um you know breaking the fourth wall here uh the the issue issue about scarlet witch and and um quicksilver are is interesting because you know there's the ip um, um, intellectual property uh, pools that the different um, production houses own, and so it's like a. They ha- I think they had to tweak Quicksilver a little bit because he can't be a mutant. Right, I think that's mutant, true because he's already he's already been named in the X Men series. As right, but but Fox right? Fox owns Marvel mutant IP, so none of the, none of the enhanced humans in the you know the Disney ones can be, or you know the ones that are being done by the by the uh, the actual Marvel studio, I guess you could call it, can use the mutant lines at all. And that's why they use enhanced. Exactly. That's and they've, been, they, they've they really been Infinity digging into Stone that in in uh, you know in, in Agents of Shield too. They've been setting that particular yeah. table. Yeah, and that's of, crazy because Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are the twin children of Magneto. Right. In the books, so I mean they're totally mutants in the books. So that's interesting that that legal. Uh, well, because yeah, because Fox owns X Men and all mutants, so it so it's like uh, um, they they use the Mind Stone and they use different ways to sort of bring those powers into the into the thing, but not calling them that. Mm. I like the sentence Fox owns all mutants. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the and the other the other piece in this in this pool is Sony because Sony owns uh, the well has the rights, I guess, for the Spider Man stuff. Right, so you know, because he's you know not in this, and he's not a mutant, but he's also, but he's a uh, uh, their IP, and, and from, there's rumors of them working with to bring him into this thing. Yeah, that's, I think it's already, yeah, it's official. already done. Yeah, it's official. Yeah, so. for for Civil War, Captain America. Well, I didn't Civil know who War. knew. Yeah. I didn't know who knew what. Well, we just know. us. We're the just only us. Ones. <laughs> <laughs> we, we made we made the call. Yeah, <laughs> the, the film board was notified. <laughs> right. 
Uh, okay, so uh, let's see, Andy, uh, talk a little bit about your uh, angst in more detail. I, you know, I mean, it was it was a fun movie, but it's I just I guess I just find um, like I said, Tony Stark's character just he Robert Downey Jr. I, I do really enjoy him as an actor, but he really just felt like. The, and I think a lot of it boils down to the script. Some of it was so rushed that his scenes just felt like such Hollywood angst acting, like just dealing with his, quote, issues about, uh, you know, all the things that he's concerned about and just having to develop Ultron in, you know, 30 seconds. And and uh, just everything was just so just jammed in there trying to, you know, we have to have, have Tony Stark feel this way because we've got to get to this point. And it just... Everything would just happen so quickly that I never really cared. I mean, I had a fun time, but I just didn't care about any of it. I think is really the how things ended up for me. I mean, I, I liked it better than Avengers. I, I felt the the uh, the antagonist in Avengers uh, just the the end of that film. Um, Loki, you know, kind of became. Uh, disabled and you lose interest in the antagonist because now it's just these aliens that nobody cares about. And I was just completely disinterested in the whole end of that. Um, this, at least it had an antagonist that I was more um, invested in. And uh, um, so it had that going for it. Throughout the whole movie, I had moments where, you know, you get pulled out of a movie and you go, why would they do that? You know, it's like I had, I had some issues with certain parts of the movie discerning characters' motivation for their actions. Like, why would they do that? And I don't have any really good examples off the top of my head, but a lot of them had to do with Tony Stark. And and my problem is I feel like they didn't do his character justice in this movie because they are needing him to set up Civil War. And I, I feel that, like, is... I, I feel that's unfortunate within the scope of this of this movie. about the fact that he is and I'm just guessing because it's called civil war uh, but it's about the fact that he is causing the Avengers to do things that makes humans more angry at the Avengers they're, they're setting up a conflict between Captain America and Iron Man about basically enhanced humans like what what to do about them right and and, and if it's you look the, throughout the registration the whole movie, act right it's yeah the, it's the, well no, that's a mutant thing. That sounds very. Oh, that um, that sounds very much like X Men. Yeah, the, because no, this, no, no, was, this is what I keep thing. thinking about Peter. But, you know, Peter thing. Parker and Spider Man. Like they, Peter Parker was. If if I remember, and I read very little of the books, but I remember he was a big part of kind of Tony Stark's storyline in the Civil War. Well, it was about whether the superheroes should maintain their secret identities. Tony was very, very upfront with his. Uh, you know, he had others that didn't, and Peter was sort of like torn between: Do I reveal? who I am and endanger my, you know, my, my family, or do I, you know, side with those that, that want to conceal their, their identities and have this sort of du- duality as opposed to uh, Tony and the rest that are in like the fantastic four who are like, yeah, we are who we are. And everybody knows that. So it's, it's not quite the mutant registration act, but it's like, we need to be able to hold these people accountable and we can do that by knowing who they really are. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and it goes, it goes, if you look throughout the whole movie, just the, just the scope of this movie is what, is what I'm referring to. Right. Is that, the little nitpicking that that Tony and and Captain America do throughout the whole movie, you, you can kind of see there's, there's a theme. They're, they're setting up, uh, um, um, you know, them each being not um, tired of each other, but if sort of tired of each other's viewpoints 
so every time he had these moments in the movie where he had to sort of you know, like like you know make Ultron you know finish the, the sort of the logics that he was going through you were like yeah I know he's super smart but really man I just did not get that I I I walked away feeling really really pretty good about that stuff like I thought that that in particular that that relationship and watching their relationship start to 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 fringe at the end I thought was really pretty pretty strong it's called the age of Ultron uh, but I mean, really, as I reflect on this film, it there's a, a character, and we've only briefly mentioned this character that is really the, I mean, the, the crux of this whole thing, and that's Scarlet Witch. Because where does Ultron come from? He comes from Tony, and Tony's, you know, vision of you know, she pulls out all these fears and insecurities that all of them have, and that's the launching point for this. And to me, it, it I agree with Pete. It it was really interesting to see if you go back to Iron Man 3 and his sort of post-traumatic stress and we know that Bruce Banner he he's he wants to be he doesn't want to be part of this he knows he's got a role to play but if they have the ability to pass this this mantle onto some something else then yeah they'll take it Tony's like I want to go to the beach you know Bruce is like I don't want, he doesn't want to have to worry about endangering people by hulking out yeah, it is consistent and so they've got these these anxieties and these fears that are driving them to create Ultron and ultimately I mean it's really fascinating to me that you know a sequel you know if you look at Avengers and then this is the second part you know just like in uh you know Empire Strikes Back and Temple of Doom we take a darker side and it's Scarlet Witch pulling this darkness of these characters that ultimately causes them to really fragment and splinter until they you know get rejuvenated out on the farm but it was a really interesting dynamic to that story I wanted more breathing room for that I wanted more of that a lot of the you know we've there's a lot of scenes that are that are, that feel rushed, but I mean I think there was something there, and I wanted a little bit more of the character development. I think there were some really interesting things that we had for for these characters. I was really invested in a lot of them, and and what sides that we were seeing of them. The movie starts off, you know, we didn't even talk about the beginning. This starts off in the middle of they've been, you know, hunting down Hydra for for months, I guess, for the past year, and we see all these things that they've they've built out. We've got we've got Code Green, and we've got this lullaby thing, and all these things, these relationships that they've built up, and to see that, you know, sort of splinter throughout the movie was really fascinating. And that role the Scarlet Witch played, I thought, was just really interesting because we get hints of it at the beginning at first i thought it was just this macguffin of when they get into that base and it's like oh well we you know we're gonna let them have this we don't want them to see what we're really doing what were they really doing were they the ones trying to create ultron was hydra trying to do that and scarlet witch implanted that seed in tony knowing that ultimately that's what was going to happen i have to go watch this movie another time because there's something i think going on and it's either sloppy writing and we gloss over something and it's just like yeah yeah yeah, we just need that to happen or is there something more to it as far as what the motives were for her to just you know touch tony to give him that vision so that and then let him walk out and let him walk out you know there's something going on there and it's really fascinating i mean i feel like the film just skipped past that in favor of a lot of these big fight scenes and i i'm really excited to see what they do with scarlet witch I will not miss Quicksilver. It was like, hey, look, I'm watching Godzilla over again. I've got Aaron Taylor Johnson and, and Elizabeth Olsen, and she is doing such a better job with her character than he is that I don't miss him. If he comes back, I'm going to be disappointed because he didn't bring anything to this film. That makes me so all. sad. I liked him. He's he no, was he handsome. was bland. He was bland just like in Godzilla. He was handsome and quick. I, what more do like you want? A, 
He's yes. like a budget X-Men Quicksilver. He's everyone. He's everything I like in people who can move really fast. Is he was so much better really in. Fast. He was so much better in the X-Men film, though. He yeah, that's true. He was better in the X-Men. Film. Wait, it wasn't him in the X-Men film. You mean Quicksilver? No, Quicksilver. No, the but character. the character. character. Quicksilver. Okay. Yeah. The, yeah, when he was a mutant. Well, and, and, a, and I think generally the effect was the, like the the visual choice, the effect that they went with in in X Men, I think was stronger. I mean, I for oh, this yes. one, this one was a was a variant off of the Flash, which I think is really a great show, and I love what they do with the Flash on that show. But this was like it's it's pretty much the the red blur but blue. Right. The only thing I'm going to say about this is that a lot of those things that you just mentioned are what I mentioned with. Um, uh, movies and I'm going to say it, but movies that try to that have to set up other movies. Yeah, this this Thanos setup is is one of the longest setups I think yeah. of, of oh, any of and these. I, and I'm willing to to wait for the payoff. I'm willing to wait for the payoff. It's just if it, and I I did enjoy it, but I just felt like there was a lot more of that. And that's always been my issue with the Thor films. It was always like the Thor films were there to just you know introduce the Tesseract, to introduce the Ether. That's all those films did was to get these you know. You know these stones sort of into into the Marvel universe, and it didn't, they didn't really serve a lot of other purpose. Which was another interesting aspect of this was Thor. You know that was the other part where I'm like, uh, okay, I he came in with like he comes back like, dude, we got to bring this thing to life. This is what's going to save her. But I'm like, where? I'm waiting for like a separate backstory on that. Like there was something that was cut. We saw Are his you, vision. You're talking about the go juice. When he got in the tub of Gojus? Yeah, when he got in the tub of, I mean, Gojus. I mean, there's a whole different interpretation I have of this whole thing of, like, why it was Thor that had to come back, which has to do with Tony and flaws of, like, humanity trying to create life, and it takes divine intervention, which in the form of Thor brings vision to, you know, to life. You can actually have, you know, intelligent life created, but only through divine intervention since he's a god, which I thought was an interesting piece. But it was another part where I was like... There's some cool stuff going on with Thor that's like actually interesting. What does his vision mean? What is he getting out of that? It's going to tell us volumes about him. Yeah, cut that scene. Cut that scene. We'll just move forward. He's going to come in with lightning and bring the thing to life and and go. Great. But I felt like, oh, there's such a rich story to be told there. Well, there's a Thor Ragnarok coming up. There is. Right. There is. We'll see. Like I I find myself changing my expectations of these films. And I think it's a result of of the conditioning that they have done through phase one, which is really great, which is, you know what, if you want the whole story, and we talked about this the last time we talked about, you know, one of these movies, if you want the whole story, uh, you, you need to you need to invest in more of the properties. Because, I mean, this week's, uh, 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 this week's, uh, who is watching uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? They, they, have, they have been leading up to a long tie-in uh, to this film. And it's the same thing they did with season one of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and they did uh, with, with Captain America Winter Soldier, which gave that show an incredible boost of in interest and energy. Uh, and season two has been a long lead-up to this film, and I just know that the episodes that come after, I, I'm really looking forward to them because now all the secrets are out and they're able to use this huge tentpole to, to extend, embrace and extend that story in in new and really interesting ways. That, that's really icing on the cake, right? I mean, you you appreciate that, right, Pete? D- absolutely, I appreciate so, that. So the, the thing that's amazing about what they're doing here is that that is a great through line, and you don't necessarily even need it to like the films, because they're creating all these other through lines in the films. One thing that, that you know, I kind of want to address the, the angsty um, things that I'm hearing from Andy and Steve about the not enough space for the characters. I totally agree with that, actually. I think that it's, 
it's there is a lot of uh of just get on the train and go with it but i really liked the pace from a fanboy perspective and i think one thing that they do here if we think about it objectively and we think about what they're doing with avengers as a movie as a comic book movie something that they've they've had trouble with in making these movies you know pre i don't know 2005 we'll say when they were making comic book movies is that they never did a good enough job of satisfying the fanboys and satisfying the casual viewer and one thing that i think they're doing a really good job of here is finding a really special place in between there that's allowing it to be entertaining for people who are casual viewer but if you're going there for the character development it's it's going to fall off a little bit because i think they want to make sure that they satisfy the fanboy too and that's something that uh, coming to it from like having both an iron man and an avengers subscription when i was a kid i don't necessarily need the character development because i've been developing them for 20 years in my mind so the interesting thing that i think they do really well here is yes they don't satisfy all the needs there but they do a far better job of finding that middle ground than we had in anything before this whole you know phase one phase two phase three drama began well and i definitely agree with that and i mean obviously they're they're throwing in characters like what's um uh ulysses claw right um right. uh what's what? his name the, the guy uh andy circus, uh, andy circus <laughs> played yeah, yeah. He, he, whatever little... Oh, he's the guy? <laughs> he's the arms dealer or the vibranium vibranium dealer. No, I knew who he was in the movie, but I didn't realize he was a character in the universe. Is literally everyone a character in the universe? Do I have to like start paying attention to... Literally everyone. Every single person. I have person. to start paying attention to janitors? Oh, my yes. God. Yes. Yeah, especially yes. janitors. They're probably Stan Lee. Well, <laughs> I'm right. going to go take a bath. Yeah, right. <laughs> Fair no, enough. No, but Ulysses, Ulysses Claw is uh, in the Black Panther storyline. which Claw. He comes, uh, so that'll come out whenever that comes out in 2020 or whenever. So, you know, we'll... 2018. Back yeah, to Andy Wakanda, Circus. baby. That's yeah. right. As soon as they said Wakanda, it was the same feeling I had when they said the vision. I was like, oh, here we go. Here They're setting the table for that next To one. your point, my kids looked over at me when they said Wakanda, and, they, and my son, he's like, oh, Black Panther, that's coming too. Well, like that, this is this it. is part of the gestalt of the cinematic universe that I think they're doing really well. Let's let's move into uh, to production. Uh, I want to start back up with the very opening sequence, which uh, to my mind was just quintessential awesome action parade. I thought it was just beautifully shot. I had a great time watching that cinematic build as we moved through the forest uh, and and got to meet these characters again. I'm just going to say that Hydra are horrible fighters. Well, you know, because the, the, the whole crossover with the Star Wars universe, they turn into stormtroopers. They're the gang that can't shoot straight. Yeah. Actually, it would be the other way around. Stormtroopers turn into them. Oh, that's right, because that was a long time ago. It was a, yeah, it was pretty yeah. far away. That's right. You think after they get their butt kicked enough, they would go, hmm, maybe we shouldn't drive tanks up against the Hulk again. It's okay, because Cap will just throw a motorcycle at you. I mean, there was there was some really... That, that was awesome. awesome. That was Come awesome. On. That was awesome. And I just love, I love that, you know, slow down to, like, the nice shot of them all lined up. I'm like, just, you know, freeze frame, snap that, there's a cover of, you know, a comic book right there. It was just... Gorgeous. That's what I, th- I thought they were doing that on purpose. Yes. Oh, I'm That's sure. The they did the shot. same thing in the first one, when it, where they're all lined up in the city, camera, you know, circles around, it's just gorgeous and you go that's you know justin you're right that's it's for the fanboys i think a lot of that just right there and they they are satisfying them with with things like that it was interesting that you the beautiful of of it right because it's all cgi right and and i I was wondering what people's opinion was with regards to star wars who's doing as many practical effects as they can 
So they say. I thought that was Fury Road's big thing. No, Star Wars too. I, he he is coming and say, you know, he's he is on the record as saying, you know, I, you know, the thing he appreciated about Star Wars, the the original trilogy was the the emphasis on practical effects, and he has put an emphasis on practical effects in this film. And I, and, you know, and he'll compensate with lens flares, right? So the offset, <laughs> yeah, exactly, lens flares, yeah. right. So you know, some of the beautifulness is because you know, you look at it and you go, okay, you catch glimpses of physics, physics not being right, or or you know. Th- you know when she picks up his, uh, um, um, the the, uh, the shield shield off of the ground. It's like I'm thinking that would take her hand off. It, but you know, okay, and you just sort of uh, go with it, right? But I was curious as to if anyone else got a little um, exhausted with the uh, with the over CGI ness of it. I, well, I unfortunately by mistake, and I know a lot of you guys like the enhanced theater experience with uh, 3D and Atmos and stuff like that. I made a mistake and I booked a 3D theater for me, and I, I particularly don't like 3D, and especially for a film that I mean, did anyone else watch it in 3D? I, I saw it. I, I did too. 3D IMAX. Yeah, it didn't really feel like it was made for 3D. It, there weren't really any. There wasn't really anything that needed that, and uh, unfortunately, I think that being a part of the 3D to answer your question, Mike, I don't know that I was able to notice a lot of that stuff. I was taken out of it because of having the glasses on. I just don't like the experience. So um, so I didn't notice it as much. It, a lot of the stuff, I make apologies for it when they're doing you know, fantasy or comic books and stuff like that. I, when it comes to CGI, unless it's really terrible, I, I don't really get taken out of it. And I, for this, it might be because I was in a 3D theater, but I, I didn't notice any uh, errors. Nothing really stuck out to me. Like, like for me, I thought the lifting the big chunk of Earth up into the sky was was beautiful was amazing i thought they did enough to make it to sort of sell it to the point where i'm like sure they sure they tunneled under the ground and attached rockets to this thing and and brought it up yes but but some of the other stuff like when they had all the little the little ultrons flying around and they're being they're being destroyed by throwing you know by throwing origami paper at them and or hitting them punching them with fists by the unenhanced people or things like that you know the children are throwing rocks at them and they're dying and they're getting destroyed i I felt it was a little um you know that's when you sit there and go hmm okay you know well as 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 a quick uh thought because this sounds like something that maybe i could give a separate viewpoint of because of fake things jumping on fake things and i hate fake things it's really for me it's about how it's used CGI has made everything possible, and it, I've been very over. I've overstated my feeling in like the Hobbit movies of just because you can doesn't mean you should. I feel like Joss Whedon, though, really like I am saying fake in my head, but if he's because he cleverly does it, he's not giving us God's eye view. And yes, that person that got angry at me <laughs> on the forums, whatever. I'm still going for it. God's eye view. No one wants it. Uh, but uh, no, but the idea of like if you're using it to do to do really clever things and keep things, the action moving in a way that's not just blurring to me is I will I will happily stop and say, okay, yes, I know this is CG, I know this is fake, but I'm willing to go on this ride, and Joss Whedon does that for me. I feel like he takes every single moment of a fight, and it's not just, okay, so then we go through this fight, because it leads to this. It's almost like every fight has 
a joke in it. Well, and that's, I think that's really rewarding, Tommy. But, uh, you know, I was thinking about you specifically as I was watching the film today uh, when the final kind of standoff at the church happened. It was, the, the again, the siege of New York. You know, everybody is gathered around in a big circle around the central uh, yeah. core, and we have the exact same setup, and now they're fighting robots instead of aliens, and okay, I get it. Did you? Was that fatiguing for you? I mean, I, I was imagining you uh, were just really popping a stiff migraine at that point and ready to gouge your eyes out. Uh, number one, yes, I do call it a migraine. And then <laughs> more importantly, uh, no, it really, he, it, he, he runs right to the limit of when I'm like, okay, I'm Tommy and I'm out. Like, I don't care. And then he does something special. I think Joss Whedon is a genius. Like, oh, the, like, this film is so overstuffed, has so many people, has so much CGI, all this stuff. And just for me, little old Tommy hates everything of this kind of world that just when I'm like, okay, I'm starting to want to think about popcorn or something, he just throws in a little fun, either slow motion or a character moment or knows where to zoom in. I think he's just a genius of knowing where to make it more, I'm sorry, how to make it less numbing, how to take CGI and make this whole crazy world and then say, oh, right, and then you care about this because of this. I think that's the only way I can say it. I mean, Tom, so I agree with you because it's the only reason I don't hate the movie. Because normally normally I would be picking it apart because I would be sitting there looking, rolling my eyes constantly. I would have gotten dizzy because rolling my eyes because of usually the the failures of, of of it but but he kept grounding he kept he almost kept saying yeah yeah i know it's funny hold on <laughs> but uh but seriously uh, we're doing some other stuff here oh that's that's a fun way of saying of like grounding or t- and also taking the air out of it of like letting this huge Im- immersive like world ending war going on and then giving it a second to to laugh at itself. I mean, that Hawkeye moment when he says, and I know I'm paraphrasing. No one would no one would ever know. Oh no, that that, <laughs> that was, was amazing. Great. Yeah, we're in a flying we're in a flying city. That's it. We're in a flying city and we're fighting evil robots and I have a bow and arrow. Nothing makes sense. I mean, that's genius. Because that's what everyone thought in the first movie. That's what I think in every movie. And so I was just, I think he's an absolute genius. I was really a big fan of this film. I really want to make that clear. Was that the question? It is now. (laughs) It is answered. Sorry, did I answer any question? I was trying (laughs) to be helpful. Yeah, you did. Yeah, okay. you absolutely did. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Did. Other comments on uh, on the uh, let's let's talk quickly about uh, uh, camera, shall we? About how do you how do you think Joss uh, directed his camera on this one? You feel you feel good about it? You get dizzy? You feel uh, besides the 3D? I, I didn't see it in 3D, and I can say, and maybe it's because I was a little bit closer to the front than I normally like to be, and I I think I I adjusted, but the uh, the Hulk Iron Man piece. Which there was some cool stuff, and it, it it didn't go too long, but there were just some moments in there where it was not quite disorienting, but it was just so many. How many how many cuts can we put in ten seconds? And there was just a lot going on, a lot of just flashes of things that it was a little on the borderline of of overwhelming. Of 
I'm I'm I I think I know where I am. I'm not completely lost. I know that it's these two guys fighting in the city, but there was some at some points just a little bit too much going on. It felt like we were in too close on that one. Whereas when we're fighting all the the robots and we're even there when we're moving within the city to the different, you know, I was fine with that. But for some reason that one, it just felt like the camera was trying to get these like tight close-ups on that that just it didn't give me any context or add anything to, to the fight there. I mean, I, I thought it was fine. I mean, I, I did see 3D IMAX, which was a complete waste of money because it wasn't shot in 3D nor for the IMAX format. I've never actually gone to an IMAX uh, screening that actually had a big uh, notice up on the screen before the movie started saying, please note, this film was not uh, filmed in IMAX, and this is you are not going to experience the IMAX experience. It's wow. like, oh, okay, glad I paid that extra, <laughs> extra <laughs> chunk of money to watch this. That's <laughs> I know, it's like, but give us your money anyway. <laughs> I don't know why that's I like stayed. That's like walking into a Starbucks and saying, we don't have coffee. <laughs> but, but enjoy our CDs. Our ambiance. Yeah. Enjoy our forest green and wood. Yeah, take all the mixer sticks you want. <laughs> I, you know, I think it's—is it a sign of restraint that he didn't show it, uh, shoot it in IMAX? I actually thought it was. Uh, I, I just I think it's a it, sign of budget. Budgetary yeah, possibly needs. by oh, then. Can, uh, can I ask how much actual shooting would they have had to have done? I mean, how, I mean, how much was not green screen? Yeah, that's a good point. This was shot on green screens on locations all over the world, though. <laughs> I mean, it really was a global film. It was a, a weird call to take those same green screens all over the all over the world and just set it up in this in a same warehouse. Yeah, the cinematography is done by uh, Ben Price, who actually did. Uh, was the um, director of photography for Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, ah. My quick thing is that it was, again, saying that this film was so overstuffed in the way that I think that uh, Joss Whedon was a genius, that he, working with a cinematographer, at times it was a little bit too much, but there was so much going on. And the fact that I wasn't ripping my hair out makes me want to give them weird Tommy Oscars. God, I want to see those. Can we have those made? <laughs> yeah. A Tommy Oscar? The simple fact that there wasn't anything that was terribly distracting is a huge credit to them on this. I mean, yes. you see, I think maybe the the one of the greatest things that Joss Whedon brings in terms of direction is the fact that you don't see his affecting it. Right, so the, all these other Marvel movies, they you know they'll use, or you think about like Man of Steel. Like I hated Man of Steel oh, because terrible. they have so many cheap director and cinematographer tricks. There's none of that here. You, he's really just allowing the movie to to work its magic, and that's oh, so cheesy right that's now. That's interesting. But the, no. the fact that you don't go, hey, this is a Joss Whedon movie because I saw the you know the lens flare. You guys are joking about J.J. Abrams in the in the lens flare, right? Joss Whedon doesn't have that because they're just that good, right? He knows when to back away, and I just I don't know. I was I was really happy with it, and I've been happy with both Avengers movies. In oh, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I see, I totally see your point, J.J. But I also, I, you know, I really feel like the, you know I know a Joss Whedon film when I when I see one, right? I mean, but it, isn't it because because of the dialogue, well, that's what I was going to say. It it has a certain tone and voice to it, uh, and and maybe I I can't quite pick out the uh, the the Joss Whedon 
visual touch as well as I can say, you know, part of the reason I loved Guardians of the Galaxy was because of the James Gunness of it. Let's say that, right? And part of the reason that I would love, um, you know, Man of Steel uh, is is if I were a big fan of Zack Snyder. Like, it, it's one of those things. Like, he definitely has a style, and that style was applied to that film. And if you like him and his films, you're going to probably like that movie. Right. I, I didn't necessarily think it was cheap, just that, man, they are going down a very different road, and it's not really my style. Totally. And and I guess I, I agree with you about Joss Whedon. I think the thing that I like most about him is that I know his tone without having to see it. Yeah. I mean, I, we've been we've been absorbing his tone for 25 years, right? I mean, he's just... Yeah. He's, he's, he's one of those that is... Is all it seems like I don't remember a time before Whedon. Do you remember the Bible? He was in that, right? Didn't he have some? I think it was in uh, Acts. Well, no, he he only showed up in Leviticus. It was a weird, weird, <laughs> weird. call. Nobody likes Leviticus, <laughs> but he but he made it better. Okay, but speaking of that, did you guys catch? And I don't know. There, it may, I don't know. If you guys can maybe tell me if this is part of the Ultron character. But there were a lot of like weird like Bible references coming out of Ultron. Like you know, I'm going to build my house upon this rock, and you know, go ask Noah. And there was just like it seemed like a lot of like biblical. But references. then also Pinocchio. Well, yeah, you got the Pinocchio as well. But it was just like, a couple of those. It just I thought okay, one. But when a character does like two or three, I was like, I didn't know if that was just something in part of his backstory that they I, brought. I don't think it's. Is it because he has specific. a god complex? Maybe. Huh. Well, yeah. kind of. I think it's more that he's an insane robot, right? I mean, I don't want to simplify his character, but that's that's kind of how they reference him in the whole Marvel universe in the books too. Oh, that crazy robot! I could actually upload. I uploaded one picture before. I could up- upload some pictures of the way that the Avengers talk about Alderaan, and it's like, oh yeah, we were fighting that crazy robot. <laughs> like they have it years and years, all the different iterations. Like, oh, that's so funny. You guys were with the crazy robot on the East Coast. We've been over here, and now he gets a central villain character in a big giant movie that's good but didn't Joss Whedon say that he was so he was like it had to be <sighs> Ultron so why is why was Joss Whedon so excited about Ultron if Ultron is such a joke in the comic books maybe he likes the idea of the insane villain and also the internet you also brought it up the internet changes everything no yeah, 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 I totally agree with that and I think Ultron I think it did have to be Ultron I mean when you look at where we are I mean let's look at the cultural connection of where we are right now with surveillance with connectivity with personal privacy uh, on Online with identity and, and Obamacare and Obamacare. <laughs> I'm just why do, why do I let what? Tommy get in my head? Scarlet Witch. Uh, the, I'm the, the dumbest Scarlet Witch you know, ever. I, I think this was in terms of, a, of an arch villain. I think this is a, this is a really resonant AI terror, and I really liked it. Um, you know, even as it it diverges from from the comic lore uh, as much as it may. Uh, I, I feel like culturally, it's really relevant. Smart. I was thinking Skynet the whole time. Right, Skynet, and and you know, it's the same. They they did the same thing, which I, I think really brilliantly with Winter Soldier, which we talked about. You know, it was this this whole idea of government surveillance and the the oversight of Shield and and what business do they have? That that is a resonant story, and and it's important for these films to tap into that. Did you catch um, Tony Iron Man talking about putting a suit of armor around the yes. world? Yes. Absolutely. I have a very quick dumb thing to say, and it is attributed to uh, JJ and I's friend Dash, Darnell Smith. He said that he loved it when he hated it when um, Ultron gets interrupted downloading or uploading or whatever it was. I'm paraphrasing uploading into the new version that becomes Vision uh, when he's in the coffin. (laughs) Why did they run away with it in the back of a truck like Russian mobsters? (laughs) 
<laughs> like the scene ends with them just flying the truck away. Oh, but come on. How many people in the audience had an audible gasp at that moment? I was like, I've never seen that before. When the, rocket, when the rockets, rockets come out of their face, <laughs> yes. so cool. <laughs> Fair enough. My, my, wife, my, my wife wanted more shirtless core. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Sorry, uh, JJ calls me his wife. And I did, and I was a big fan. All right, let's, uh, let's do a quick, uh, give us uh, two, three lines, uh, final wrap-up. You, do you really think people should see this film, Andy Nelson? I, I mean, it is fun. It's, it's an enjoyable film, but uh, you know, for me, it wasn't anything that did anything that any of the other uh, films in this universe have done. It, just, it pretty much was kind of the same old, same old. Um, honestly, if I were to go back and pick something in our uh, list of things to watch, I would probably watch any of the Hobbit films over this film. Whoa! Oh! Whoa. Whoa. Wow! You just I know stopped the yard. Mike Evans, what do you think? I I so I like the movie in spite of the fact that. Uh, if this was done, I think if this was actually executed any other way, I would have hated it, but I actually enjoyed it. I was able to suspend disbelief. There was enough humor. Um, I think, I, I do think it suffers from the fact that it's uh, setting up movies to come, and I think that it spent a lot of its time doing that. But I did enjoy it, and I think people should see it. All right, Steve Sarmento. Uh, I'm going to say, you know, I this with this one, I, I embrace my inner 12-year-old, and I just... You know, I'm looking forward to seeing it again to just for the thrill ride that it is to just be sort of immersed in the action and to just go with the flow on this one. I think anybody that sees it, they can go in just expecting to be entertained. will will thoroughly enjoy this film. If you if you start loading yourself with expectations and some other things that, or start not what, what's the opposite of suspending? I guess of letting your belief weigh you down instead of suspending your disbelief. Yeah, you're going to start to have these moments that are going to bother you, but just set that aside, put on your 12-year-old brain and go have a good time. All right, JJ. I definitely think people should see the movie. And we talked about the the it's good for the fanboy, good for the film lover, or at least it finds a middle in between. But I think also because it's an action comedy and it's a good action comedy. I think a lot of action comedies that come out these days are actually kind of weak, weak in action and weak in comedy. And I think this one, because of Joss Whedon, it works in a way that uh, it reminds me of movies that I've missed for a long time. Here, here. Oh, so elegant. Tommy, can you beat that? I cannot, but I can say here, here and jump on his back and say that Joss Whedon is a genius. And this is a, again, as I said in the very beginning, this is a genre I have no taste for and no ability to understand. He made me care. He made me laugh. He made me excited. I giggled and I gasped. And yeah, this film's great. And I am with uh, most of you. I really enjoyed it. And the question is not should you see this film, but it's should you see it twice and maybe a third time. I think definitely twice. I really enjoyed this film. I had a great time and I would watch it before I would watch any of the Hobbit films. There you go. Ditto. Paths diverge in a yellow wood. <laughs> I can't wait to see where this next segment goes. It's time to rank it. Flick chart, flick chart, film board assemblers, flick chart time. I had a very busy weekend. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Head over to flickchart.com slash TNR film board uh, right now. If you do that right now, if you don't have an account, you should sign up and start ranking movies. And you could start with our list and see how your list of our favorite movies line up with our list of our favorite movies that we've talked about on this show. Let's, let's go ahead and do that. All right. First up, Avengers Age of Ultron or Divergent. 
Avengers Age of Ultron. Avengers. Avengers. Which one was Divergent? The first one? Oh, the, the first second? one. Please. <laughs> oh, Avengers. my God. A- A- Age of Ultron. You shut up. Age of Ultron. <laughs> so the, the answer would be, it doesn't matter. Right. Oh, okay. It does not matter. Age of Ultron. <laughs> okay. Avengers or Looper. Oh, Looper. Avengers. I would do Ooh. Looper. Avengers. I say Avengers. Two and two. I'm Steven <gasps> JJ. Looper. Three. JJ. Steve, it's all it's it's, it's Avengers because I was just mentioning this. I, Looper was very meh to me the first time around, and I I didn't really get anything out of it. I whereas I I laughed and was thrilled by the Avengers. Plus, all the foreheads in the Avengers were better than <laughs> any of the foreheads in Looper. Yes. This is true. Well, we're at a three and a three, so Pete. Yes. Should we do rock, paper, scissors, water? I hate you. Let's do it. <laughs> what? Okay. This always right. works seamlessly. Don't worry. <laughs> stay, stay tuned, podcast listeners. This is a really great segment. This is great audio right here. Ready? Yeah. One. Okay. One, two, two three. Paper. paper. Wow. One, okay. Oh. One, two, two, one, two, two three. three scissors. Scissors. I, yeah. Yeah. Wow. No. And Looper no. takes it. No, it doesn't. So Avengers wins it? Denied. Podcast L- listeners, next Looper week, takes uh, we're going to have them paint a picture in real time, <laughs> and then we'll tell you which is better. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, this one, uh, you all know how I'll go on this one. Avengers Age of Ultron or The Hobbit, The Desolation of Smaug. Avengers Age of Ultron. Hobbit. <laughs> Avengers. Uh, which one was The Desolation of Smaug? That's the second That's one. the second one. Number two. Yeah, Avengers. Avengers. Uh, Avengers. Uh, I knew I was a solo voice on that one. Avengers, Age of Ultron, or Captain America, the Winter Soldier. I will do the Winter Soldier. I will also do the Winter Soldier. Was the Avengers. Winter Soldier the second one? Yes. Yes. Uh, Avengers. But I liked. But I actually liked Cap. I liked the Captain America movies. This is what the flick chart does. Me too. But I uh, Avengers. It, it's, it's the Hydra Dharma Initiative exposition bunker that bothers the heck out of me. I so know. I'm gonna, you hate that. But it's, <laughs> it's just like. But it's, it, but it's got a great like the, oh, the 70s conspiracy I know, thriller I, vibe. I, I, I know. I know. And that's why I'm I'm torn because there are I have story issues with Avengers too as I as I said. Um, so I, I I think I think I'm gonna have to go with Captain America because of it it did despite that one scene did balance a lot a lot of story very well yeah so I'm gonna go with Captain okay America. so Captain America four to two Avengers Age of Ultron or side effects hmm. <laughs> really Avengers. weird I'm gonna say Avengers I would. I'm going to say Avengers. side effects. Sorry. I don't. Th- I think I'll be alone, but I'm going to say side effects because I like being alone and I suffer <laughs> from depression. <laughs> no, I'm going to say side effects too. We are talking about Soderbergh, right? The, yes. We've, yes. Rooney Mara and yeah. Channing Tatum and, and, and the other Paul Bettany, Jude Law. <laughs> oh. You mean the discount budget Paul Bettany? <laughs> oh. No, no. Wasn't wasn't Jude Law Paul Bettany before Paul Bettany was? It Paul was. Bettany? Did you see how quickly right. that changed? Tides change. Very nice. Fast. I'm gonna say I, I Avengers. Said side effects, by the way. Uh, Avengers for me. So, so we got one Avengers. side effects and two Avengers so far, right? We have two Not, side effects. Two side. Oh, two side effects. Oh, I'm saying Avengers because although I enjoyed side effects, it just. So is that I, is how many was that four Avengers then? I think it's Avengers. four. Four to two. Yeah. Okay, four so yeah. Avengers takes it. All right. So there you go. Avengers number eleven. Yay! Awesome. Oh. 11 out of 34. It should be higher because of the looper thing, but I'll, I'll let it go. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good point. 
So does that uh, does that mean it's right next to Looper? It's no, no. it's it's between no. Captain America: Winter Soldier and Side Effects. And side effects. It, it should be below no, World War Z and above Looper. I think is where it, it, it should be below the Hobbit films. This movie's no divergent. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Where uh, we have already de- de- uh, uh, determined where we are going uh, for it next month, and we're very excited about it, Andy. Where are we going next month? Next month we are going to be talking about none other than Jurassic World. Just I'm so excited, dinosaurs! <laughs> and we're broadcasting so direct from Isla Nubar, aren't we? Isn't that we're all taking a oh, look at the island? That's right. The park is open. I don't yeah. know if you've heard. And uh, Chris Pratt is doing a little bit of velociraptor whispering. Thank you, everybody, for joining. Uh, make sure you head over to the nextreel.com slash film board and uh, catch up with all of our uh, reviews that we have done as a gang of thugs. Uh, don't forget the regular show, uh, Next Reel. We're in the middle. We're smack dab in the middle of our Mad Max uh, Quadrilogy, mm. yeah, yeah, leading up to Fury Road. So uh, this coming week, we're hitting up uh, Road Warrior, Mad Max Two, That's right? Road Mad Warrior, Mad Max Two colon the Road Warrior, colon the Road Warrior. Uh, very excited about that. So thank you everybody for listening. Tommy, thanks for being here, buddy. Thank you, thank you, Matt. It's always, it's always a pleasure. And JJ, is that Ultron? <laughs> Ultron has joined us. <laughs> so weird. Thank you for being here, JJ. I love you. I love you too. And Steve. Oh, hey, glad I could be here this time. And uh, you know, we, uh, Pete, you and I didn't get into it this time. Something's going on. We're in agreement on this one. It's uh, it's feeling good. We're in a roll. Feeling pretty. It's really strange. Yeah. Love really is in the air. A little bit of a little it is tingling. May. Uh, Mike, it's good to hear your dulcet tones after a long while away. Hulk smash. <laughs> Andy, I'll talk to you on Thursday. Sounds good, man. Here on the film board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grant's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. 
And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. TheNextReel.com slash Originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to TheNextReel.com slash Originals and get your next read today. 